0: Satan for luck. Welcome to the podcast um, today. To get started, I just want to jump right into Acts five. Um, if you want to pause this, go to your scripture. Otherwise, I'll read it. Acts five five says: Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but bought, brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some money you received from the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, buried him about three hours later his wife came in not knowing what happened and peter asked her tell me is this the price you and ananias got for the land yes she said that is the price peter said to her how could you conspire to test the spirit of the lord listen the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also at that moment she fell down at his feet and died and died then the young men came in finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And so what happened here? I think this story almost seems like it would fit better in Isaiah, Old Testament. You know, we kind of view the Old Testament sometimes as the shock and awe of God. But this was an important story. I mean, not only was it important enough that it was written down in Acts, But it was important because I think verse 11 says, Great fear seized the whole church, and who heard about these events? I think this is important. I think this is something we need to grasp onto. And so, why do you think God killed Ananias and Sapphira? I've heard a few different people share accounts of this, of, you know, some people think that because the presence of the Holy Spirit, that was on Luke, that was Earth, that was on uh, Peter, sorry, was so powerful that almost sin couldn't exist within his presence. Other people say that, well, Ananias died from shock and Sapphira died from the grief of her husband dying. And I mean, even in that, like, when have you heard of something like that happening because somebody called you out and it kills both of you? Some people have said that, well, God didn't kill them; the disciples must have killed them. I don't, I don't know that it would word it the way that it does if the disciples were the ones that killed them. Um, seems a little out of place for the disciples to just all of a sudden haul out and kill these guys. So, what happened here? What do you think? Why do you think God killed Ananias and Sapphira? I think this is an important question for us to ask ourselves, let alone ask God. But Ananias and Sapphira, they could have just kept the money. They could have just sold what they sold, kept the money, told the church they opted to keep some of it, and just be honest. It was the premise that they said that they had given all that their land was worth. They wanted the praise without actually earning any of the praise. They wanted the praise of of donating everything. They wanted what came with the donation. They wanted everyone to know the sacrifices that they made without actually making that sacrifice. And it's kind of interesting to me because I mean really, that, I mean Peter even just straight up tells him like wasn't that your land? You could have just kept the land. You could have just kept the money. So why did you decide to sell the land and tell us a different price so that you could keep some of it? It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. But let's continue verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. That's kind of a dramatic turnaround, right? As so we go from verse 11, great fear seizes the whole church and all who heard about these events, and in verse 12, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. I think it's dramatic, but at the same time, I think it's important because, I mean, Nowadays, we look at this and we see it separated by a title. We see it in a totally separate section. But when it was originally written, there was no separate verses. There was no separate titles. Literally, verse 11, the great great fear sees the whole church and all who heard about these events. And the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together. It continued in. And so, it's important. But what does it mean? What is it implying? That's the question. So God strikes down Ananias and Sapphira. Turn around and people were laying people out on the street so that Peter's shadow might heal them. It's crazy. Crazy turnaround. I don't think it is by accident that Ananias and Sapphira were killed in the presence of Peter. And then all the lame and sick and demon possessed were healed in the presence of Peter. I think it's important. I remember when I was 16, I had just put some performance parts on my car. My car wasn't anything special, but I was piece by piece trying to improve it. First thing I've ever owned that was really big and important to me. And so I wanted to improve it. Well, I'd driven to a neighboring town and there was a guy there who was (laughs) just kind of talking trash about my car. And eventually this guy challenged me to a drag race. Now, like I said, I knew my car wasn't anything special, but I knew I knew how to drive and so we lined up and raced middle of town. Now, it's not really important to the story, but I'm just going to say I won. But <laughs> anyway, as I slowed back down to the speed limit after racing and turned the corner, boom. Pops up, cherry's right behind me. Police department pulled me over. First time I had ever done anything like this. Literally, first time I had ever even done anything like this. And I'm getting pulled over for it. I officially got the ticket of exhibition of speed because the police department, the police officer couldn't actually figure out how fast I was going. Um, I can tell you that I was going really fast in the middle of town. Dangerous, stupid. But all said and done, the court costs and the classes that I had to take in order to get my driver's driver's license back ended up costing me uh, over $1,000. It was honestly probably a little more expensive than my car, but um Which for a 16-year-old at that time was a lot of money. But looking back, it really wasn't that big of a deal all in all as far as paying all of that back and getting my driver's license back. I took the class. Citation was eventually dropped from my record. But out of the whole situation, the thing that I remember the most out of all of that was the feeling of walking into my home, looking at my mom's face. I didn't fear that she was going to wallop me and hurt me or anything like that. I just feared telling her. I feared her. I felt feared, feared letting her down. I feared disappointing her. I feared there was there was a lot of fear. And it wasn't a malignant fear of just like, you know, because my mom was a terrible person or anything. N- by no means. My mom was such a loving person. But I had so much fear walking in that door. I thought about whether or not I could just hide it. But considering how big the charges were and the fact that I would probably be in the newspaper in the next couple days, I figured my mom would find out one way or the other, no sense in lying to her. I figured, well, what was her re- reaction going to be? Now I knew I was going to be in trouble, but I wanted to tell my mom, but I also had a huge fear of telling my mom. I think that fear is the kind of fear, kind of, kind of the kind of fear that we're talking about today. It's not an inhumane fear that we have to watch over our backs every second because God might just out of nowhere pop us. It's not an abusive fear. It's not a malignant, harmful fear. But it's the fear of someone we love. The fear of someone who we know loves us. Because I know my mom loved me so much. Now that I'm a parent and and looking at my son, I, I can tell you, I love my son so much. I know my mom loved me the same way that I love my son. So I know my mom loved me. And I loved my mom. But in that moment, there was a very real level of fear. And I think that's the fear we're talking about today. Fear of God. What does it look like for us to fear God? Because scripture is pretty clear. The Holy Spirit helps us to have a better understanding of the fear of the Lord. The psalmist repeats numerous places about fearing the Lord. So what does a fear of the Lord look like? What is a healthy fear of the Lord? And I think it's important that we do fear the Lord. I've noticed a trend in the American church lately. And this might not even be lately, but it seems to get be getting a little over the top or at least it did there for a while i think there's an aspect of the american church today that we want the healing that comes from the holy spirit but we don't want the discipline that also comes from the holy spirit we want the healing but we want to be forgiven about lying about how much we sold our crops for we want the blessing of the lord without the fear of the lord And anytime we get into the fear of the Lord, it's almost like we kind of put up this wall of like, "Ah, that's not really the God I know. Well, then the God, you know, isn't the God of the Bible, because the Bible is pretty clear that there needs to be that we're supposed to have a fear of the Lord. So I want to know what it's going to take. I want to know what it's going to take for our church, for Sharon State Chi Alpha, for the ministry that I'm in charge of, the ministry that you go to. What is it going to take for that church to become the Acts 2 church where it talks about there is a daily number added to them? I believe that we can reach that point. I believe that our church can reach that point. What is it going to take? I really believe that there needs to be a healthy, healthy fear of the Lord. The problem is, and the hard part about it is, we oftentimes put you know, if we came from an unhealthy relationship with our parents, we put that unhealthy fear onto God. And that's not that kind of fear. Sometimes it's hard for us to really truly understand what a healthy fear of the Lord is. And there for a while in the American church, and I, I guess I can't speak for the, the church as a whole worldwide, but, you know, from studying the American church, there was a, a period of time for years where the teaching that kind of ran through the church that was everywhere was focused on the fire and the brimstone. Where there was a strictness and a severity to everything. Churches were kicking people out every time that they sneezed wrong. There was an over-the-top focus on the fire and the brimstone, the the fear. Then it seemed like, maybe starting around the 90s, studying church history, that we all of a sudden saw the American church almost swing the pendulum over to an extreme hyper-grace. Where everything is forgiven, everything is okay. Just come to church. Now the thing about it is, I think the church is the healthiest when there are elements of both sides of that equation. There needs to be a fear of the Lord. But there also needs to be grace and forgiveness of sins. And so what does it mean to you to fear the Lord? What does a healthy fear of the Lord look like to you? I think, first of all, we've got to focus a little bit and recognize that God is loving and just. He's a loving, merciful, and forgiving God. I mean, look at how much he forgave the ancient Israelites. the Ancient Jews in general. He's so forgiving and a a God of redemption. But there was also correction. There was also a, hey guys, (laughs) I was gone for five seconds and you're worshiping a false idol come on. There's a a rebuking that goes on. There's a correction. There's a discipline. And so, again, with the church, we, we have to recognize that God is loving and God is just. It's important. But there's also an element of the fear of the Lord that produces awe and wonder of him the power, the majesty, the purity, the holiness, the justness, the, 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 the thunder and lightning that happened within the Old Testament. You know, when God protects Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, and at the same time, we have stories of she-bears and, and, uh, ripping jaw, or killing people with the jawbone of a donkey. There's a power, but then we also have within scripture of people who were all of a sudden in the presence of angels and and in the presence of God, and it became very clear to them what their sins were, and there was a fear, a powerful fear. I think some of that fear comes within an awareness of who God is and how good he is Again, the psalmist he wrote, "Let all the earth fear the Lord, let all of the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be; he commanded, and it stood firm." I think another reason why we need to fear the Lord is because it can help us produce faith. God destroyed the Egyptian army that came after the uh, the Jews. That's powerful, but then then an entire generation didn't get to inherit the promised land. That's powerful. Here God was bringing them to the promised land. If you look on a map, the distance between where they needed to go and where they were coming from doesn't take 40 years. It took a move of God to keep them in the wilderness. I think there's a healthy fear of the Lord in that. Another reason to fear the Lord is how much the Lord hates sin. When you combine his hatred of sin, not the hatred of sinners, but the hatred of sin. When you combine the hatred of sin with the fact that God is such a just judge. Knowing our level of sin. That's a type of fear that is especially as non-christians that's a that's a fear that's a fear of judgment based off of my own actions but going back to the story with my mom and my mom had a long conversation with me talked to me about why it was stupid made sure that i knew that i was going to have to face the consequences of my decision to drag race in the middle of town I had to pay back all of my ticket costs. I had to pay back all of the things that I needed to do. I pay my uh, for my court. Pay for my uh, lawyer. Whatever, all of that. I had to pay for all of that. And looking back, like that's 100%. Definitely something I should have had to, to pay for, and I did. But then my mom stopped after she knew that I was taking it seriously. She knew that I felt bad about it. And she knew that... I was already punishing myself. I was already, I was willing to go into all this. I wasn't, wasn't fighting anything. I I knew what I deserved. There was a moment of grace where my mom stopped being the discipliner. Entered into grace, looked at me, smiled and said, so did you win? And then she let me tell the story about the race. And yes, I did win. It was fun kind of explaining it to her. And then my mom went in and told me that when she was young, she had a really nice car and she drag raced. And so maybe it just ran in our blood a little bit. I had no clue. And so there was a level of grace that came with the consequences. And so as a non-Christian, we fear the consequences. We fear the, the wrath almost. But as Christians, they're still discipline. But there's grace in that discipline. And so how do we fear God? What is a healthy fear of God? Honestly, I look at the, the same way I teach my son. Trying to teach him that some things are dangerous. Some things are not good for him. And as he pursues those things while he's young and, and learning, I discipline No, no becomes a very common word for little kids. Honestly, no is one of the first words many children learn because we're saying it so often as parents. No. Don't touch that. It's hot. Don't do this. Don't do that. Are we doing that? are Are we disciplining our children, especially while they're young, because we're angry and because we just want to dominate them? No, I mean, some parents definitely do, but a a loving parent who resembles Christ is disciplining because we want to protect them. We want to make sure that they know the oven is hot. Hey, that power outlet will kill you. I know the cars look cool, but if you get too close, don't dive off the bed. Onto a hardwood floor, you could get a concussion. There's a protection. We don't want to see them hurt. We don't want to see them go down the wrong path. And as they get older, your discipline changes a little bit. Trying to make sure they're making good decisions. And so I think a healthy parental aspect of our lives is one of the closest ways where we can really look at what a healthy fear of the Lord is. And Jesus says... Abba Father. <laughs> God is our our Heavenly Father. And so if we had healthy fear with our earthly parents, if we had healthy earthly parents, I should say, then I think there's a, a healthy fear to God. I mean, Scripture tells us there's a healthy fear. And so in our relationship with God, we we become obedient. We start to recognize that the discipline is to help us. You know, Hebrews 12:6 says uh, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves he chastens everyone he accepts as his son so why do we reject God's discipline but embrace his power we embrace his gifts we embrace his blessings we embrace his healing and then turn around and reject his discipline reject that God does discipline there's both sides of the pendulum and as we grow in sanctification, that discipline looks different. And I think also having a healthy fear of the Lord keeps us in humility. Proverbs 22 4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord, its wages are riches and honor and life. I think there needs to be a fear of the Lord in order for us to walk in humility of our salvation. And going back to Hebrews 12, 7 says, Endure suffering, suffering as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone goes undisciplined, then you are not legitimate, not true sons, and not true daughters at all. Moreover, we have had all human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it how much more should we submit to the Father of the Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. I just talked about that. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level the paths of your, for your feet so that the lame may not be da- disabled, but rather healed. And so, I think Hebrews is, is telling us we want that breakthrough. All of us have breakthroughs we want to happen with our relationships with God. We want that breakthrough. So maybe to get that breakthrough, we need to reevaluate what a healthy fear of the Lord in our lives would look like, should look like, and can look like. All right. And with that, I just want to thank you guys. I want you to be thinking about fear of the Lord. I want you to to really meditate on it this week. What does a healthy fear of the Lord look like for you in your life? And wrestle that out. If you have a hard time... With the acceptance of discipline, that God disciplines us. If you have a hard time with that, wrestle out why. Just ask in the Holy Spirit search your heart and ask why. Why do I have an issue with that? Oftentimes it's because we had people in our lives who disciplined us in a very unhealthy way. We had people in our lives who just weren't healthy. That's between you and God and the Holy Spirit. So I just want to pray, Lord, uh, I thank you for each of those each of these people who are listening to this. God I pray for them. I pray you would bless them, you would teach them. And Lord, in spirit of today's sermon, I pray that you would discipline them in order that their fruit would be good. In order that you would make level the paths for their feed. Lord, that you would strengthen their arms and knees. And Lord, that you would produce a harvest of righteousness and peace in their lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in, guys.